Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There's stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today Welcome along to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Connor Clancy, and returning to join me to talk about a really good week of Serie A action, it must be said, is the ever-present Vito Doria. Vito, welcome along. Thank you, Connor. It's uh, great to be here as always, and after the disappointment of the Italian national team, it's great to get back into Serie A action and... We weren't uh, disappointed. There was lots to talk about and lots of it, lots of excitement. Uh, Vito, you've you've reopened the wounds there with that. But here to help us heal those wounds is returning Nicholas Carroll. Nick, it's good to see you again. How's everything back down in Australia? Yes, good to be back. Thanks, Connor. It's uh, actually it's my first pod from Australia, so there you go, a bit of a first. Things are good. Australia's in the World Cup. Um, I'm not going to talk about Italy because yeah no I don't want chat, to please let's just um let's talk about Serie A and try and forget that disaster yeah I guess well before we do move completely into Serie A the the ghost of the World Cup is still something that needs to be addressed because we saw Gianpiero Ventura got sacked last week and president of the FIGC Carlo Tavecchio was determined that he wasn't going to resign but today the news broke that he has so Vito, I, th- I think that's generally good news for Italian football fans, right? Absolutely. He was the wrong appointment from the start and he had always courted controversy even before he was elected in. So for him to finally resign, especially after the failure to qualify for the World Cup, I think it's great and good riddance to him. Hopefully this is a catalyst for change in Italian football. Absolutely. He's kind of the figurehead of that old boys club, really, that still kind of exists in Serie A. Although with some of those moving on from their clubs and their Tavecchio leaving the federation, hopefully that is a sign of change that's going to 
be sweeping across Italian football. Um, I think there's only one place to start here. I know there were some, pl- there were plenty of big games this weekend, but when the Derby della Capitale happens, you kind of have to lead with that. And Roma won two one. It was probably more impressive than two one would suggest from Roma. Nick, I'm going to start with you here, but it was a really exciting game, and it kind of went against all those long dead stereotypes held against Serie A. It was. A high tempo, good quality. Both teams wanted to win, and they just got at each other. What did you make of it? Yeah, as you said, it was a really exciting game. Um, Roma, I think, probably came out as a lot of us thought in terms of dominant on the ball. Um, but you know, I, I thought Lazio were good as well. I, you know, uh, I don't think, um, you know, obviously it's it's always hard to lose a derby, but. I don't think there's much to be concerned about for Simone and Zaghi, particularly when you consider the two goals that were conceded, uh, both off Bastos errors. So um, I thought Lazio's defence was quite strong. They actually, um, they didn't concede too much in terms of strong opportunities. Um, they kept El Sharawe quiet. Jekko didn't have a lot of space to work with. Um, so Lazio, uh, I don't think there's much concern there, but of course, Roma, um, yeah, they were strong. They deserved the win, I think. Um, and I would say, to be honest, for them, I think it's not even that important how they won, but the fact that they won this derby, it's such a confidence booster uh, under Di Francesco to, uh, I guess, to almost send that message that they're, they're not going to relinquish that number one spot in Rome because uh, Lazio, they've been in great form. I think we've said they're, arguably the most consistent or one of the most consistent teams in Serie A, but they've managed to top um, topple them in this match and, yeah, they overtake them in the league. So I think um, I think it's going to be a, a nice little sub-competition between the two Roman clubs for this season. So I'm very much looking forward to the next derby if this one was anything to go by. Just before I throw it over to Vito, so Nick, you said it's going to be a little bit of a subplot there between the two Roman clubs. Where do you see that being like what will that fight be for because personally i have roma as contenders after that <laughs> i'm not gonna go i saw your little um notes before this and i saw the little title question mark but i'm not gonna go there um i don't i don't think it's uh we can talk about that i i'd, I'd say they they're contenders for a champions league position um both of the clubs um, I would even say uh, third or fourth is realistic, but I'm not going to, I don't think title just yet. All right. Um, I actually, I did write about this after the game, which is available over on com, of course. Basically, what I was really impressed by from Roma was not the fact that they just beat Lazio, which of course is impressive in itself, but the way that they did it, because as you said, Lazio weren't bad, but Roma never really looked troubled. And then when Manolas stupidly had a moment of madness and gave away a penalty when there was absolutely no need to do so, Lazio kind of got a bit of belief after Immobile converted it. But even still, Roma just dug in, they fought, they battled. And that's something that we haven't really seen from them in recent years. One thing that they're always accused of is kind of being flaky, spineless team who just fold when the pressure's on. And they showed that they are capable of doing a lot more than in previous seasons this year. And 
with Juventus not being Juventus, I think the bar for the title is going to be a little bit lower this year. So I don't see why Roma can't compete for it. Vito, what are your thoughts on this? Roma won the derby. Is it just that or can we read more into it? At the moment, I would say that it is an important victory for Roma. And of course, winning the derby, you get bragging rights in the city. As for a title chase, I'm still convinced that, <clears throat> pardon me, that they need another season together with Monchi in his first season as sporting director and Eusebio Di Francesco in his first season as coach with the Giallorossi. I still think they've got a few teething problems, if you like. There's still more time for them to, of course, gel together and also just familiarise themselves with one another. But even with the squad that Di Francesco has at the moment, they're looking very competitive and they don't make as many silly errors as they usually would, aside from that uh, Manolis moment, which resulted in the Lazio penalty. Uh David Schiavone, we, we know that name, has come into the comments and said, Napoli, Juve, Inter and Roma will all compete for the title. Nick, I know you don't want Roma or Inter involved in that conversation, but it's looking like it is going to be more than a two-horse race this season, which I'm sure we all welcome. Right, so someone who was really impressive in this game, Rajan Angelan, we know he is brilliant, but Nick, he, he bossed it, didn't he? Yeah, 100%. And, and probably the thing that impressed me the most is that there was a bit of an injury cloud um, going into this match around him. I think he picked up a knock um, during the international break. Well, he wasn't going to play for Belgium. Um, but And then to come in here and dominate like he did, uh, he's just a, such a strong presence in that uh, Roma midfield. And, yeah, I mean... We've seen it time and time again, I guess. Um, maybe not as consistent this season as he has been, as he was last season, but um, certainly when he's in this kind of form, um, yeah, he's near unstoppable and he very much can and does change uh, change a match. So, um, you know, if you took him out of that uh, Gialarossi side, I could very confidently say that there's matches there that they're winning that they certainly would not be winning. Yeah, more so than just his obvious, um, I don't know, participation in the midfield. What really impressed me was that he was getting kicked up and down that pitch, particularly by Senad Lulic. But Lazio clearly targeted him, whether it was because of his injury or because of his temperament. We know he can be a bit hot-headed. They set out to provoke him into doing something stupid or to injure him to get him off. And he just never reacted. He channeled that into just an absolutely brilliant performance. He kept his head cool at all times, as Roma did as a whole, to be fair to them. Um, as we saw with Diego Perotti's penalty, he must have been the calmest man in Rome and the world when he took that. I've never seen a penalty it. hit. <laughs> it was so, so good. Like I've never seen a player walk to a ball more ball. slowly. Uh, Nick, I know we disagree on this, but if he scores, let him do it. Vito, do you think that Lazio will be really disheartened by this defeat? I know it's always sore to lose in the derby, but um, could the wheels come off their early Champions League challenge? They will be sore because they lost the derby, but I doubt it would be anything more than that. 
based on what we've seen so far this season, they have been able to juggle both the Europa League and Serie A. So I believe that Inzaghi and his players, they'll be able to cope with uh, two competitions at once and still be able to push for a Champions League spot. Right, I'll stick with you. Ciro Mobile, he didn't quite do it for Italy and he didn't quite look himself in the derby, I think it's fair to say. I know he scored, but it was a penalty and he took it confidently, fair, but he wasn't quite at it. Do you think that's just one of those performances from him and we shouldn't be reading too much into it? I know it might feel like I'm being harsh, but Lazio have been so good this season that you kind of need to pick on little things and kind of try and explore them. So, is Immobile just, it's just a game where he didn't score and he'll be back hitting the ground running next week? I still think there's a possibility of that. Another thing that Immobile might need to watch out for is to get that tag of being a flat track bully. It seems that in some big games, he perhaps probably hasn't stood out as much as he could or should be able to. But when comparing his performances with Lazio and that with the national team, uh, I think it just goes to show what big difference it is when you have a coach who knows what he's doing and he can organise the team as well as motivate the players. That is what Simone Inzaghi is doing. He's really got Lazio playing well. They're playing for him and there is a, a style of play or there's a system in place. Whereas with Italy, Immobile did not get that service, there wasn't the organisation there and Ventura was a massive flop. So big contrast there and it can impact on players regardless of how good or bad they are. Yeah, I guess the emotion would have been hanging over from the, the whole Italy thing as well. Daniel has come in the comments and says he expects Lazio to drop off this season which I think might be a bit harsh given how they performed last season. Who knows, we'll see. Uh, one of the other big games then, Napoli-Milan um, 2-1 again. San, at the San Paolo, Napoli probably better value than 2-1 as Roma could have been. But Milan weren't actually that bad. Nick, they just seemed like they were lacking a lot in attack. What do you make of it? They've spent a lot of money this season, but they still lack a bit of firepower up front. It's funny that. And who are they starting up front? Nikola Someone Kalinic. that's not very good, I would argue. I, um, you know, and yeah, um, quickly just on Milan as a whole, I, I agree with you. I don't think they played bad um, for that kind of match. Uh, I guess taking it out of the context of their season, um, it's a they played a decent match against that Napoli outfit. You know, there's not too much to be uh, disappointed at given their opposition. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I said it before when they were looking at. Kalinic, uh, I said it when he was starting for them, and I'll say it again. I just, I don't understand why he he starts or plays that often for him, um, for Milan, particularly when they've spent on the likes of Andrea Silva. Um, I just don't think he's consistent enough in front of goal, and uh, for for a team in Milan's position, they need to be taking their chances, and he simply doesn't provide that. So. Um, yeah, um, but Milan, I still think, um, you know, there's lots of good signs there. So, um, I, I'm really want to employ, um, encourage Rossoneri fans to stick with it because 
um, it'll get better for you guys. Yeah, well, you're speaking from personal experience there with Inter over the last few seasons. But um, I completely agree with Kalinic. I should maybe play devil's advocate here. Our very own Vieri Caprata is a keen defender of him. But I think even he admits that scoring goals isn't really his strength. He's he's kind of like the Andrea Patania type where he does everything else really well. But scoring goals just isn't his main strength in attack. But when you're Milan and you're playing with really one goal threat in your team, you do need your striker to kind of contribute a bit more. Vito, Nick mentioned Andre Silva. I was going to bring him up next. Do you think he deserves to get a few more starts? When he came on, he didn't look overly impressive, but Kalinic has been so bad. I think that uh, Andrea Silva has to play just for the sake of keeping Kalinic on the bench because Kalinic has been a huge disappointment. If it's not Andrea Silva, at least give Patrick Cotrone more time because he started well in pre-season and also early on in the campaign, so perhaps he deserves more time too. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I like Cotrone a lot, and I, th- I do think he has the ability to not be a key player, but he could probably be a regular first-team player, and he should probably be getting a few more minutes than he's getting now. Nick, Ricardo Montalivo played. Why is he still a thing that happens in this Milan team, given the amount of money they spent and his obvious lack of ability? You know what I was very excited about at the start of this season? I thought, you know what, we're going to go on the podcast and we're not going to have to talk about Ricardo Montalivo. And yet here we are, 13 weeks in. And I, I, don't, I don't understand why, he's, why, we, why it's a, something we have to talk about. Why is it a thing? Why does this exist? I don't – what he, does he provide? I, I've never understood. And he's still there. He's still doing – I don't know, filling space. That's it. What does he do? Because I I watched this game the other night and up until I don't know how long, but it was into the second half and he came up on screen. I was thinking, oh, wow, is he playing? I I didn't realise. He's supposed to be the guy that is at the centre of everything they do and he's still there. I remember there was a tweet in the summer that I really enjoyed. Apologies to whoever tweeted it because I forget, but... It was something along the lines of the best signing Milan make this summer is the one who makes Ricardo Montalivo irrelevant. And they did that. They brought in Luca Figlia, <laughs> but I don't know. Montalivo is still there playing in big games. Uh, Vito, do you want to jump in on this? Do, do you think Montalivo still has a role to play at Milan? Absolutely not. As far as I'm concerned, Ricardo Montalivo is another one of those wasted talents or flat track bullies, if you like. Uh, I've noticed that whenever he scores, and this is throughout his career, it's either against teams that are just not able to compete against the Italian sides in Europe or the promoted sides that really struggle in Serie A and just make up the numbers. So when you have Riccardo Montolivo around, you're not going to get someone who can provide leadership or provide a moment of magic. I think he was touted as someone with potential, but he never lived up to it. So it's about time that Milan and Serie A in general just say good riddance to him. I mean, just just get rid of him and let the new generation come through. Stick with Locatelli through thick and thin and make sure that Manuel Locatelli 
lives up to expectations or exceeds them because I think cultural fans in general have had enough of Montalivo. Vito, in a word, should we send Ricardo Montalivo to Genoa? Yes. <laughs> there we go. All right. You mentioned Locatelli. I wasn't going to mention this because he's young. Um, he's going to make mistakes. But Milan had a free kick about, what, 35 yards from goal. Last kick of the game. Everyone was up. Donnarumma was up. All Locatelli had to do was put it in the box. And he just kicked it straight out of play. It was awful. It kind of reminded me of something you would see Montalivo doing. But... Yeah, uh, we've we've had our first Montella out comment come in in the in the live comments, which I'm happy about. Montella out before it's too late. We have a question from Ronnie about Napoli. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, what else did we want to talk about about Milan? I think that might have been it actually. Nick, should Montella be gone? Or what's he doing? He's making it very difficult to keep defending him. I will admit. But I'll still stick with my original thing that he deserves till at least January to see this through. Um, I still don't agree with a lot of what he's doing, but I think he deserves at least that. Yeah, I would agree. Um, he's supposed to be this coach that comes in and implements a decent enough style, though. And I know it's tough, but that has not happened this season. Vito, just before we move on, actually, did I see you compare Marco Verratti to Ricardo Montalivo in the last week? Yes, in fact, I did. Just not one of my Forza Italian football pieces, but just a blog that I keep here and there. It's usually more longer worded, probably sometimes more controversial, my stuff. But yeah, unfortunately, Marco Verratti is not living up to his potential. He was seen as the heir to Pirlo. And at the moment, from what we've seen, at least on his Azzurri performances, I think uh, the comparisons with Montalivo are somewhat justified, in my opinion. Yeah, I I must admit, I I did chuckle, and I I quite liked the comparison when I first saw it. Next time you're going to write something like that that's a bit controversial, a bit divisive, let me know, and we'll get it up on Forza Italian Football and just let people lose their minds. Daniel's back in the comments, (laughs) and he says he defended Montella while everyone else was calling for his head, but he's now pretty sure he doesn't know what he is doing. Um, Yeah, I don't know where... Come on, I think I'm going to side with Nick for now, though, and just give him a little bit more time, see what happens. Um, Give him till January or something, and then, yeah, off with his head. Napoli, then. They they won the game, after all. We should probably be talking about them. Lorenzo Insigne scored... There was some like fake controversy over it because I thought the referees and VAR did a brilliant job on that one. It was implemented so perfectly. Uh, I was very happy with that. Nick, I'm sure you were too. You like VAR. Uh, but one of the questions relates to something I was going to ask. Where is it? I feel that Gulam injury is going to hurt Napoli a lot. Their overall, overall squad depth is poor and they need quality backups. Do you think that they're that injury could cost them the title, which leads on to what I was going to ask is, are Mario Rui and Maggio good enough stand-ins for Napoli, considering how long Gulam's going to be out for? I should have really oh, right, that to be someone. Uh, Vito, you, uh, well, you jump in and take it. <laughs> nice. Well, Mario Rui had a decent game against AC Milan, so... Maybe in the long term, he could actually provide something. Maggio, I'm a bit concerned only because of his age. Whereas with Mario Rui, 
the thing is that he's a player that Sari knows from his Empoli days. And he, like Piotr Zielinski, he knows him prior to the Napoli days. So maybe from that aspect, he's already familiar with Sari's coaching and it wouldn't be as bad as buying someone brand new who's not familiar with the way Sari instructs his players. Yeah, I, I would worry about Maggio more so than Rui as well because he's just not very good. He hasn't been very good for quite a while. I think it was, was it in 2012 when Chelsea did that comeback against Napoli? I think Maggio was kind of past his best then. And this is what, five years on, he's still knocking about, which I do think it is time they got in a few more defensive reinforcements there. Nick, I was going to actually throw that to you. Is Do you think that Napoli's squad is quite as deep as we might have initially thought? Because at the start of the season, that was one thing we said, is that they kind of added this depth with the youngsters coming through. But do they still maybe need a little bit more? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. We're, we'll probably, the midfield, we're probably looking at a lot. And even up front, there is a bit of depth but um, those wide defensive positions and, you know, to be fair to Napoli, you could say throughout the whole Serie A, um, you know, an injury out wide to a defender and a lot of teams are looking short in those areas. So it is, um, it is quite a key position in modern times. And it's, it's such a hard one for particularly looking at Fatsi Gulam because I think he was up there with the best left backs um, in the world this season, um, his form was just incredible. Um, you know, so far away from where he's been in, in previous seasons, and um, not only that, but in the context of Napoli's left flank, I think their whole left side um, movement between uh, Gulam, Hamsik, and Insigne is just—I I mean, that pretty much makes up a lot of Napoli's attack. And so, in that context, it's such a big loss because. Um, he provided so much going forward, um, assisting Hamsik and assisting Insigne and delivering bo- uh, balls into the box for even Mertens and Calderon. So, um, yeah, there's there's a lot to his game that Napoli certainly will miss. So, uh, Rui, I think I think he's quite a good player. He's a solid player. Um, I don't think he would probably go in quite comfortably to most teams in Serie A, but... It's just the fact that it's it's hard boots to fill with Gulam. So, um, and that's the thing with Napoli. We probably, you know, kind of you and me picked them for the title, um, but we probably would have put a little kind of asterisk to that if certain players keep healthy. And, um, you know, he's a big loss. So um, I'll still back them at the moment, but... Um, yeah, let's hope uh, they can kind of feel that. But certainly Maggio, I'll say, is just is not up to it. So I'll completely throw him out of there. We'll ship discussion. him off. The, we'll we'll ship him off to Genoa as well with Ricardo Montalivo and anyone else that we don't like. But uh, no, Nick, you kind of hit the nail on the head there for me. Gulam is probably one of the best fullbacks in the world. Not even just on the left, but on either side. We, myself and Kev P, actually discussed this briefly last season and. There aren't really many world-class fullbacks or wingbacks around anymore. And Kev wrote a piece for us saying that Gulam was had a shout of being the best left back in the world, and it, it got a mixed response. But I think that was mainly people reading that 
the headline and not the actual article justifying the, the headline. But yeah, you kind of answered one of my questions as well. I was going to ask, are Napoli still on for our preseason predictions of the title? You're standing with it. Vito, are you still confident that they'll be there or thereabouts? I'm still confident. Well, they got the win on the weekend and hopefully they maintain that form even with the loss of uh, Gulam and the loss of Milik too. So I don't think there's enough science to suggest that things will change or that Napoli will decline as yet. Yeah, one thing I couldn't help watching this game is uh, Lorenzo Insigne. Lads, it's, it's a real shame he's not Italian because Italy could have done with someone like him in those two games against Sweden. Uh, if only, <laughs> if only. Yeah. Uh, there's only one obvious place to go now, and that is Sampdoria Juventus. The scoreline says it was 3-2, but don't get us wrong, that was a hammering. If if the match was 90 minutes, Samp won 3-0. Juventus' two goals don't really mean that much, except they've got two really good players in attack. But Samp absolutely smashed them, and there is only one person to start with here. Uh, Vito, just, just take it away. Well, on social media, the Sampdoria fan page, I mean, the Twitter account, referred to the Stadio Luigi Ferraris as Sampland. I mean, six wins in a row at home. That's pretty remarkable, and we didn't even do that in the Scudetto season of 1991. so that's an incredible achievement. Personally, I would use the word Doria World, emphasise on the Doria, why not? Anyway, the game itself, I think it's just a testament to Marco Giampaolo's coaching. You know, just tight in defence, but very fluid when in possession. And it showed that although Juve might have rested a few players just for the Champions League, it seemed that they were reliant on individuals to try and create something, and they were rather wasteful, the Bianconeri. Sampdoria, they were a bit nervous in the first half, in my opinion, but in the second half, there was greater confidence, better movement, much better fluidity in the play. And although we were leading 3-0, I felt that Valerio Vere could have made it four, Carolinetti could have added to the scoring, and even Zapata, before Torero made it 2-0, he could have scored as well, but then uh, Chesney made the save. So really... I think 3-2 looks generous, but of course, over the 90 minutes, if something didn't concede those goals to Juve and they added more themselves, I think it would have created even more shockwaves than what it's done already. So what you're saying is Sam should have won 6 now, yeah? Oh, I think uh, the way the game was going, I think it would have been a distinct possibility. But of course, by the time it was 3-0, result was in the bag and uh, Juve... They didn't provide much resistance until the very end. And you know, like I was saying earlier, just when they went forward, they just seemed so unimaginative, which is really disappointing for Juventini. But, of course, as a Sump supporter, I'm just glad to take the three points. And there was the performance to justify it too. Yeah, would definitely agree with that. Nick, we have spoken a lot about... AC Milan on this season's podcast and particularly Leonardo Bonucci. 
Do you think that he is more missed at Juventus than he is well received at Milan this season? Yeah, you just certainly say so. Um, Juve just their defense in particular just looks a shadow of um, of what it used to be. Um, simple things like defending um, off set pieces or even just clearing a ball. Um, they they look poor at times, and um, you know it's creating opportunities for their opposition. Um, you know you've got Alexis Stefan Laksteiner in there, who's um, you have to wonder why um, he certainly doesn't look up to the standard. Um, and not only that, but in front of the the defence, there just looks like um, there's so much space um, in in right in the centre. And Sampdoria certainly took advantage of that. Um, particularly, I think it was the third goal, um, with, uh, Torreira's goal, where he just, um, yeah, had so much room to move. But, um, yeah, it's it's a concern. Um, but I think this is just the changing of the guard in a way. I was looking at some where um, things were last season and Juve had conceded just nine goals at this point Um while Lazio, Napoli, Roma, Inter had all conceded 14 or more. This season, Juve's conceded 14 goals and Napoli, Inter and Roma have all conceded under 10 goals. So, And we talk constantly about this whole, um, you know, the best defensive team wins the titles. So that kind of, I, I quite like that because it's almost illustrates that shift in things. So... Mm. It's um it's interesting, but yeah, certainly defensives is looking key once again, and Juve are not near the best at it anymore. No, I think that's one of the best stats you've brought to the table this season, Nick, and they're usually quite good. To be fair, but that that just takes it for me. Um, it's kind of a bit of a truism that attack can often be the best form of defense, especially in the case of Napoli, isn't it? I guess. But I think one thing that's probably been overlooked is Leonardo Bonucci isn't just missed defensively for Juve he was their playmaker I know he was a defender but every time he got the ball he carried it into midfield and played those long diagonals over the top or just found space to pass the ball into and I think he's arguably being missed more in that regard than he is defensively especially Marquisio's over the hill now as well so he doesn't really occupy or command that midfield anymore but yeah Vito, do you think Juventus are lacking a bit of depth this season? I know they brought in players like Bernardeschi and Douglas Costa, but it more, I don't know, weak beyond their first 11 than we might have thought in the summer? Late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. To an extent, you could say that, but I still think in general the Juventus squad is a very good one and still on paper probably the best in Serie A. I just think with this particular game, the personnel that Allegri put onto the park in a way probably might have upset the balance of the normal squad or just the way that they normally play. So, for instance, Bernardeschi as a number 10, I think he's got the right attributes for that role. But I think against a well-organised team like Sump and also at the Luigi Ferrari, so I think it was perhaps not the best time to integrate him into that role. And also you had uh, Wojciech Szczesny in goal. I don't think the goals were entirely his fault, but um, maybe that might have been a time that he might not have played. Or Another thing too, probably more so than Szczesny, is in fact that Chiellini started the game. I reckon probably someone like Benazia might have been handy. Or as you said, if Bonucci was still there, probably have him partner Rugani. But... I just think the general balance of the team and also just the whole mindset of the team against Sampdoria, I don't think Juve were really as sharp or as determined as they usually would. Yes, I was actually out before this game kicked off and the person I was with kind of said, oh, look at Juventus' team, look how strong their bench is. And I remember, they're playing Samp. They're taking Samp a bit lightly here. It doesn't matter how strong your bench is if you don't get the three points. And kind of said they might be in a bit of trouble. I didn't see that coming, though, because Samp just played them off the park. One player who stood out again this week, and for me, if we were to make up a team of the season so far, he'd be the first name on it, is Lucas Torreira. I picked him out as one of the young players to watch in Serie A this season, something I did before the season. So I've got a bit of a vested interest in bringing him up all the time. But Nick, he is going to be a superstar. A hundred percent. He's just um, has such an impact in that team. He provides a presence that really should far surpass the maturity of a 21 year old. It's a bit ridiculous actually. Um, he just he controls everything in the middle. He directs play. He keeps that team so organised. He's strong in defence. Uh, against Juve, he had the match high of tackle count. Um, but then he provides great service as well up front into the middle, um, both in open play and from set pieces. And he can certainly strike the ball. And I think we saw all of those elements against Juve. Um, he's just, there's just so many aspects to his game. And... Um, I mean, I think every every Samp game where they've kind of surprised us with the result, where they've won, where we thought maybe we didn't really predict it, he's always starred in the game. He's he's consistently performs at that level, which makes it even more impressive. You see so often these youngsters come up and, you know, they 
show so much promise and we talk about them, but game on, one game off. But he is constantly just such a strong player in that Sant midfield. So, yeah, I would I would really love for him to stay at Sant for a couple of seasons. Um, I'd hate for a team after this season so early. I I think uh, some development in this team for a couple of seasons would do the world for him. So um, I hope for his and Sam's sake that, um, yeah, he can stay there and develop because, yeah, he's 21 and he's already world-class. So That's the thing. You, again, Nick, this is your best performance on the podcast because you hit the nail on the head again there. Oh, thanks, man. He offers so much more than just – he's Uruguayan, isn't he? Vito, correct me if I'm wrong there. Yes, he is Uruguayan. And I'm actually staggered that um, Tabarez has not caught him up for the Uruguay national team yet. I think if uh, he gets caught up to the World Cup squad, he could be one of the stars of the tournament. You know, That's my big shout. I'd agree with that. But as I was going to say there, you know, you get these kind of defensive midfielders from Uruguay and often they're just hard men who kick people and are really, really nasty to play against. He can do that. But then when he gets the ball, as Nick said, he can pick passes. He can create chances. He rarely loses the ball. And he's just so good. He's a complete midfielder already. And he's probably got the energy of about a 15-year-old, but the head of a 30-year-old because he's just so clever on the ball. I could see Vito just sitting back there smiling as we were talking about Sam there. Because normally, Sam come up, we throw it over to Vito, and we just let him speak. But Samper kind of making everyone sit up and pay attention this season. And Lucas Torreira is one of the reasons for that. Um, I do hate to do this because often when a player doesn't play or plays brilliantly at one of the, the, not the big six clubs, basically, um, you automatically think he'd do a great job with X and Y. Uh, We saw that with Atalanta last season. Everyone was linking everyone to Milan, Napoli. But how perfectly would Torreira fit in this Napoli team? He would... He would just work so well. Vito, I'm sorry. I do want him to stay at Sam for a little bit longer, but how good would he work? Come on. Well, they've got Jorginho already, and they've got Amadou Diawara, so they're well covered in those positions. (laughs) But if Napoli did have someone like Lucas Torreira, I think he's tougher than Jorginho and also Diawara. And I think now that he's adding goals, I think in a team like Napoli's, he would add another scoring outlet. And that's pretty staggering when you consider that the front three provides enough goals and Marikamsk and even Zielinski, they can provide their share of goals too. So, you know, um, it's an interesting uh, topic for the theorists and the romantics to discuss. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't mean to upset you or anything like because I do want them to stay at Sam. <laughs> I like Sampdoria. But right, Nick, it's it's time to address the elephant in the room. <clears throat> uh interview at the two 0 It was pretty straightforward, let's be honest. Um I'm not trying to deflect from the result, but I think it's fair to say Atalanta had half an eye on Europe this Thursday, taking off Gomez with a bit of time left. But Atalanta were really, really bad. Nick, we were kind of chatting throughout this, and I was saying it's probably the worst I've seen them play other than the second half against Sampdoria this season and even going back to this time last year. But um, 
what did you make of it then? It it just kind of was settled by Icardi's brilliance, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I'd love to come out and say that it was, you know, two quality teams playing, a, you know, 90 minutes of fantastic football. But, um, yeah, no, it wasn't really the case. Uh, to be honest, I think you're probably being a bit harsh on Atalanta. I don't actually think they're that bad. Um, past the best, I, well, to be honest, I think both teams, particularly in the first half, were just sluggish. Um, the international breaks seemed to really have an effect. Um, they just there were so many misplaced passes um, from both teams. Uh, Vecino and Gagliardini uh, for Inter, I thought in the first half were um, I won't say woeful, but they were pretty poor. Um, and Vecino just went missing for large places. Um, to be honest, I thought um, Cristante and Darun for Atalanta were quite um, strong. Um, Atalanta were pressing high and they made it very difficult for Inter, particularly in that first half. So I think off the ball, Atalanta weren't half bad. Um, they made life difficult and they provided such, such so little space in the um, kind of moving towards the, the final third and in the centre of the park. So um, at halftime, I think Atalanta would have been happy in that that's the kind of game that they would have wanted Inter to be playing and they were forcing Inter off their game. So um, in that respect, I thought, you know, there, it was it was a good way to approach the game and I thought um, they were they were going okay. But, yeah, certainly the quality of the match as a whole wasn't great. And as you said, it, it did come down to um, some finishing quality from one Mauro Icardi and, um, you know, time and time again, he's showing us how brilliant of a striker he is. Uh, he doesn't need many chances. I think I was looking at some stats. He's, um, he's well, overtaken Dybala in terms of the, the leading goal scorer for the season, but he only ranks 10th in Serie A for shots per game. So, And that just shows how clinical he is. He doesn't need chances, or many chances, just um, a couple, and he will put them away. So that was certainly the difference. But Inter, I think these are the matches that Inter were drawing last season and at sometimes losing, and that's the difference. They can play, you know, relatively poor now and get away with a win um, and a comfortable win, let's say, in the second half. Right, Connor? This is the, so, um, <laughs> I think you did this on purpose. This is the type of match that Inter drew or lost last season, isn't it, Nick? Will we well, go back to March? Well, <laughs> well, okay, that's that's a bit of an anomaly, but um, you, you know the games where you, you know the quality's bad, it's not quite working. But you know they get the goals and they move on to the next week. You know, I'd, I don't think Spalletti would be keen to you know look at this kind of match video too much. It's one of those games that yeah, there were some poor elements to it, but. Um, got the three points, that's the important thing. And likewise for Atalanta, I think they'd be quite happy to move past it. Like you said, they've got Europe ahead. Um, so, yeah, it's one of those games, move on. There'll be brighter yeah. things ahead for both teams, let's hope. Yeah, I very much take that standpoint as well because I tweeted straight after the game. I'm not too disheartened by that. At times, you just can't really do much about Mario Cardi. Like you said, he gets two chances and he scores them. Um, was it was it from him that Barisha blocked the chance in the first half? Like it could have been one nil earlier than it was, but uh, Akadi's second goal in particular, I just thought was a brilliant header, and it wasn't even really that much of a chance, but he he made it into a goal. Yeah. 
Uh, I was a bit worried about Cristante playing in that deep role. I know he does it sometimes, but against the bigger teams, I find that he likes to get forward and he can sometimes neglect his defensive duties. Don't want to talk about Atalanta too much because I know you guys give out to me, but we did actually get an Atalanta-based question this week. What? And it was from it was from Jonathan Mangas, and he is active in the comments there at the moment, so we have to address it, guys. Vito, I will let you take it, and I can kind of chip in as well if you like. And it's basically just what has happened to Martin Darun since returning from Middlesbrough. He seems like half the player he was before he left, something that I'd agree with. Vito, have you any hot takes on this? Oh, well, from probably what I've seen of him, I remember when he was playing under Eddie Raya, he was in that middle of the midfield trio, so that might have suited him much better, whereas under Gasparini, it's more of a 3-4-1-2, if you like. So that that setup might not suit him the best, but uh, we'll have to see what happens as the season progresses. But the way I look at Darun just generally as a player, I see him as more of a ball, you know, whereas the players that Atalanta have in midfield, the best ones or the ones in form, they're usually more the box-to-box types. And in my opinion, I don't see Darun as being that type of player. I don't know about... You kind of obviously you would watch him a lot more than me, so maybe you see things a bit differently. That's I'm nearly sitting here standing up applauding you two. You're absolutely smashing it tonight because Vito, you've just hit on everything I was going to say. I do think he's a lot more comfortable in that midfield three. I do think he still has a role to play in the two, but he is more of a ball winning midfielder. He can do the box to box stuff, but not quite as well as the likes of Freuler and Cristante. But, uh, yeah, I do think if he was playing in a midfield three, you'd see the best of him. Midfield two, he's not quite at his peak because when he's got two players playing either side of him, he wins the ball brilliantly, intercepts passes, and then just gives it short and lets the other guys take care of the business from there. But when there is a little bit more responsibility on him to kind of take some lead of his own and kind of move forward with the ball, he's not quite capable of doing it. Nick, I thought you were generous. I didn't think he was that great on what I was at Sunday night. They had a few sloppy touches and that, but again... I, I oh, that it. was off the ball that I was kind of focusing yeah. on. Not so much on the ball. All right, yeah, well, the defensive stuff's just his bread and butter, really. And it, it, again, he was brilliant under Eddie Reha when Atalanta used to sit back and just invite pressure on them. They're not really that team anymore. They look, as Nick said, to get in your face, hassle you, and then kind of attack themselves, which... Attacking wasn't a thing that happened that much under Eddie Reha. But, all right, guys, that will be enough Atalanta. Johnny, I hope you're happy. I certainly am. We got to talk about Atalanta for a bit. But elsewhere, there were a few red cards. There were four. Spal drew with Fiorentina, which was a big result. Genoa won. Sorry, Vito. But Benevento. Guys. Oh, man. Nick, they just keep breaking our hearts. What do they have to do? This is it, because they had a point against Cagliari. They had it in their hands and they threw it away in the last minute. But And then, what was it? One all after 90 minutes. And then Sassuolo got a penalty and missed it in the 91st. Yeah. And then Sassuolo got the winner in the 94th minute. minute. The witches. Nick, what's going on? How long will it be before they pick up a point? I don't know. It's it's worrying. I feel so bad for them. They just. Oh. I think um, they've broken the record now. Yeah, of the worst start in 87 years, beating Manchester United's effort 
from I'm just going to tease They play Atalanta away next. So, oh, there you go. That's where they pick up their first point, isn't it? (laughs) It's going to be a one all draw like the game against Spal was. I'm I'm always pessimistic about stuff like this. Atalanta played Verona. I think it must be two seasons ago. It was the year they got relegated. And it was February or something. And Verona hadn't won that season. So it was, what, seven months into the season, Verona hadn't won. They went to Bergamo and, of course, they won. I think I remember that match, actually. You probably remember my reaction. That was Mm. back in the good old Eddie Reha days, I think. But, yeah, Benevento, Nick, they're they're relegated, aren't they? Well, yeah, I think that's a given. (laughs) But you just, you got to hope they can just, you know, earn some kind of respect or bring a bit of dignity back to Campania because, yeah, they're kind of letting the South down. That's harsh. I don't want to say that, you know, it's, it's so tough for a team like that with their kind of budget to come into Serie A. And, you know, to be honest, it brings a lot of bigger scale questions to the league, which, you know, a lot of people are starting to talk about on social media. But, you know, we won't get into that now. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. There's not much you can do. Mm. You, you do have to feel for them because they're not a Serie A club. Let's be honest. They, they're, not they're not big enough for it, but... It's nice to see them for the season. Um, one club who I think might be in a bit of trouble this season is Udinese. Bottom three at the moment is Benevento, Verona and Genoa. Uh, but Udinese are, what, three points ahead of the bottom three? They were beaten by Cagliari at the weekend. Vito, do you think there's a chance they could drop into that bottom three by the end of the season? I still think there's a top chance because there's not much quality in general there. Um they still have a lot of imports in the in their squads and they're not the quality ones that they had six, seven years ago. So, And I also think Luigi Donneri is past it as a coach, so I really don't see how they can turn it around under him, but there doesn't seem to be the same talent identification like they used to have or there's as much uh, desire in the club. I also get the impression that, Perhaps the Pozzo family who own Udinese as well as Watford, they're probably more focused on Watford now and they're doing well in the Premier League. So it's like Udinese is sort of like a hobby now and not a real investment or something they really have at heart. Yeah, Nick, did you want to jump there? Yes, I heard you making noises. Oh, yeah, just, just, yeah, I think Vito kind of was spot on there. I think um, the Pozzo is just. Um, yeah, their focus is very much on on Watford. It seems it's Udinese is just kind of letting it run, but I mean, there's not much happening there. It's kind of it's very bland, I think, um, over there. Unfortunately for Udinese fans, so yeah. All right, I'm getting shouted at in the comments. It wasn't Locatelli who took the final free kick of the game. It was Biglia. Sorry if I got that wrong. I was 95% certain it was Locatelli, but if I'm wrong, I hold my hands up. Uh, I'm sorry, Biglia. Sorry, B is still brilliant. Well, I'm not to be proven wrong yet. I'll, I'll go hunt out that video. Um, Sorry, B is still really good. Top three at the moment are Bari, Parma and Venezia, which would be brilliant if the three of those came up. Parma, obvious romantic reasons. Venezia, kind of similarly. And then Bari, just because they're really, really Southern. And Nick, I know you could get behind their bid for promotion. But 15 rounds in, and there are still just 13 points separating top from bottom. So we have a 22-team title race in Serie B 
realistically. Nick, give me three teams. Who do you want to come up this season? Uh, Bari, Fodja. Fodja's coming up. They're in good form. Watch out for them, everyone. Um, who else? Um, um, I've seen enough. I know I'm going to have to stick to stick to that. Now Palmer. Now Palmer. It would be good to see them. That's in Serie All right, Vito, have you got any preferences? Well, I think the way things are looking, it's pretty much over there. But definitely Parma and Bari. Um, yeah, Parma and Bari. Well, with Bari, good to see Fabio Grosso doing well. The 2006 World Cup hero. Plus Bari, I think after going into bankruptcy a few years back, they're coming up. Plus good to see the son Nicola, you know, filling up. That would be great to see. Parma, another big rise after the fall they had. Lorenzo Insigne's brother, Roberto, is starting to come good. So it's good to see another Insigne providing some magic on the wings. My third choice, I really don't like it when teams just yo-yo around, but I'm really liking the look of Empoli under Vincenzo Vivarini because he's really providing a team that they do leak goals, but they score more than they concede. And the front line of uh, I think it's Donnarumma and Caputo. I might need to double-check on that one. They've been very lethal. So, you know, it looks like there's another good coach that Empoli has unearthed. Is that another Donnarumma brother? I don't think he's a, a relative of Gianluca. I could be wrong there. I know that um, Gianluca's brother Antonio is at uh, AC Milan now as a reserve goalkeeper, but the one at... Uh, Empoli, I think his name's Alfredo. I'll need to double-check that one. Yeah. All right, that, that would be interesting but, if, uh, if everyone's yeah. brother was just playing Serie B. Exactly. All right, guys, any other business? Anything either of you want to bring up before we end this? A lot of crazy uh, games in Serie B, really. I mean, as I mentioned with Empoli, um, they bet Cesena 5-3. Most of the goals came in the last 20, 30 minutes. So, and there have been a lot of high-scoring games too. So, Parma bet Ascoli 4-0, Perugia got a 5-0 win. So, at least in Serie B, the goals are really flowing this season. Vito, i got to ask, are, is there any reason for these high-scoring games? Are there attack-minded coaches in Serie B or something? Look, I think going back to the piece I wrote for the Forza Italian football website, I still think that there are a lot of these coaches, they're not the conservative-minded ones of yesteryear. There's a lot more coaches that want to be more attacking and there's that desire to entertain and believe that they can get results that way. The only coach I'd say would be conservative is uh, people in Zaghi at Venezia. They got the tightest defence in the competition, but everyone else has that desire to score more than the opposition. So uh, I'm really liking the look of Serie B this season. I'm actually going to see Venezia in like three weeks. Going to see them play against Provercelli with Luca, so hopefully they come out and play a bit that day, and they're not too Venezia. Yes, I want to see it before they kind of move out and become too modern and all that. So we're doing a bit of a tour of Northern Italy, which will be nice. Thanks um, for the invite, mate. Where are you living at the moment? Sydney. Yeah, exactly. That's 24 hours. <laughs> I could make it. It would take you longer to get there than we will spend in Italy, probably. Um, uh, Nick, have you anything to say before we conclude? Um, 
I'll just give a quick shout out to the Socceroos who have made their fourth World no Cup in a row. World Cup talk. It's a sensitive and, issue. Um, no, I'm look. I'm just. I want to put it out there to Italian fans are hurting, and I would. I was of course hurting as an Italian of Italian heritage. But you know, if you're looking for someone to support, jump on the Australian bandwagon. It's no. uh, it'll be a good ride in Russia. So get on. Or well, otherwise, um, um, <laughs> Ireland. Why do Why do you do oh, that? Oh, <laughs> oh, sorry, Connor. I'm so sorry. Australia, get on it. Back to you, Connor. Uh, Would you like me to finish this? Um, I'd like to finish you at, at this moment in time. But yeah, no, that's it, Nick. You're on Twitter at Nick said Carol Vito at Vito C Doria. I'm at Con J Clancy. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Serie FFC, Facebook and Instagram at Forza Italian Football. We go to games and post videos and stuff from there. Uh, read the website, ForzaItalianFootball.com. There's good Serie A stuff there. Yeah, Nick's kind of ruined my mood for the end. But yeah, all that is left for me to say is ciao for now. Guys, say goodbye. <laughs> ciao. Ciao, everyone. gente che fa sospirare Roma, Roma, Roma la sage canta da sta voce nasce un coro so centomila voci che hai fatto innamorare
late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 